This is a place for storytellers, a place where thoughts, dreams, and ideas come to life. Join me on my journey to unearth the real stories behind real people. No labels, they're just humans. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to They're Just Humans. This is episode 40. I am not going to make excuses for not being around. Um, I really hope that everyone is having a wonderful 2024. If you're not, hey, that's okay, too, because for me, life is lifing. I think I may have said that in the intro of the last episode, but I'm going to say it again because, hey, we're all human. We all have stuff going on, and this year has already kicked me pretty hard in the backside. So thank you for your patience. I am so incredibly happy to be back in this space. It is a space that I have not been able to put myself into for a while now, and I am doing everything I can to change that. So once again, thanks for sticking around. Today, my guest is Kat. Kat and I play tennis together. That's where I met her. And it wouldn't be until probably three years into being around Kat in the tennis environment that someone would approach me and say, have you ever thought about podcasting with Kat? And I said, no, why? And they said, she's had a very interesting life. So that is literally all I knew um, other than surface level stuff about Kat, but that's all I knew about her. So I was very, very excited to see what all this interesting life was about. And to be clear, we all have an interesting life. That's the thing. You might think your life isn't interesting, but it is because it's like picking a random book off a bookshelf and opening it up and not knowing what you're going to read about. That's what's so fascinating about this. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Kat. Hello. Hi. Thank thanks. you for coming over. No, thanks for thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's good to let whoever's listening to this kind of see what I'm seeing right now, which is you sitting here, very calm, very present, very good energy. And we have a fire, we have natural lights, we have all these things that, to me, make us feel human in a way that a lot of times the world we live in becomes artificial and it takes us away from that and we get lost from what is important mm -hmm. and what actually, you know, makes you feel peaceful and relaxed. Yes. yes, like just being present and just taking care of the space that you're in at any given time of the day, exactly what you just said. Like, it is important. I love all things cozy, so mm -hmm. this is very nice. And I told you not to have start a fire, and I'm really glad we did, because even though your husband almost smoked us out of here, it's very soothing. Once you get past the sap from the wood that's probably not cured enough to go in the fire, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, at first I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. He's putting some, like, evergreen in mm -hmm. there or something, because it's going to smell good, but... Mm -hmm. It smoked. It did. Yeah, but it's also like it's a great way to recycle it. And, yes. You know, in this house, we don't. People are always like, why don't you have a microwave? Where are 
your paper towels. I recently bought Ziploc bags. Oh, okay. Very recently. All right. Well, tell me more about this because these are all things that I, in my brain, like want to be and I'm trying to be aware of in the world. Um, But it sounds as though you're really putting them, you're really doing it. Like if you, are you very conscious about single use plastics and like recycling and stuff? Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up in one of the most pristine ecosystems on the planet. I was born on Kauai. So not only is Kauai in Hawaii, which just has these beautiful trade winds that just brush all the pollution out of the sky. Kauai is the garden state. About 80% of it is mountains. It's very hippie. It's very laid back there. And people there just have a deep appreciation of nature, which is very easy to do where you live somewhere where it's so easy to be outside. And things are just growing out of the ground. And I was raised by, uh, what's the word? Oh, hippies. Homeschooled hippies, the sort of people who don't let you have electronics or sugar. And my mom's idea of what to do when we got sick was, why don't we go to the ocean? Okay. So I would be at the beach as a little kid with a fever. She's like, no, go ahead. Salt water, it's good for you. So I grew up with this very unorthodox, I guess, understanding of how medicine works and my relationship to the environment. I think I don't look crunchy and sometimes people are surprised. I call it silky. Like you're silky because you like some bougie stuff, but at the same time you try and be very ecocentric and grounded. Grounded, exactly. And also grateful of the resources that we have because in the West we use such a large percentage of the world's resources and we do it I feel like very thoughtlessly and when you consume things thoughtlessly you don't appreciate them right so waste not want not waste not want not pine cones in the fire but you know make sure all the sap is dried out first <laughs> or you can just smoke out your house yes and she'll be like great it's fine you've come a long way from having a fever and going into the ocean wait it's so balance okay. it's balance yeah okay so I feel Okay, so was that because your mom truly believed that? Was it also a combination of other things? Did you guys not have, like, insurance? Like, was there something there that was like, well, I can't, we can't afford that in our family? Was there any type of that, like a scarcity? Oh, that's a great question. Or did your mom fully just believe that the earth could heal any ailment? A little bit of both. Um, I think that she believe that until the day that she passed away and she actually passed away because she was in a field and she was picking up trash just in a random field in Denver, Colorado and she just had a sudden heart issue and just oh my god she pieced out but that's how she would have wanted to go in a meadow outside in nature sure like that was just very much her personality and like there is always the flip side to things that become maybe a little extreme and In Hawaii in the 80s, a lot of this stuff, homeopathy, natural grocery stores, like, you know, medicine is a last resort versus you just immediately go and you get antibiotics. This was all very, very new. And a lot of the people, I think, in retrospect, who we met in Hawaii were people who moved there intentionally because they wanted to live life in a certain way. So I was homeschooled because... The public school system was, its I don't know how to describe it. Racist is not the right word. Prickly, maybe, because okay. the indigenous people, and people always ask, are you Hawaiian? No, I'm not Hawaiian. 
Because if you don't have Hawaiian ancestry, if you're not a native to the islands, it's a, it's a giant insult to assume that you are. And I think that that gets played out over and over again when people come in and it's sort of a, a catch-22 because the, the, you know, the economy survives on tourism and Hawaiians are very gracious, hospitable people, but at the same time, the Hawaiian Islands were colonized in the 1950s. We're talking about people who less than a generation ago remember this. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the real estate that you grew up on is like gold dust. And maybe you're fortunate enough to own a house and then maybe the house is worth $3 million. Or maybe you're just somebody who grew up Hawaiian native who can no longer afford the cost of living on your own land. So that, at least in the 80s, led to a public school system that was you know, somewhat hostile to non-natives. And because I've had like, you know, fairly dark hair and eyes, I passed a lot easier than some of the other, like, I don't want to say white kids, but yes. Mm. Um, but the second you open your mouth, they would know because Hawaiians speak pidgin, which is a very specific dialect of English and Hawaiian. And if you're not fluent in that, they yeah. clock you. So because of that and because of my mom's, I think, own natural reservations about, you know, outside influences and just wanting to have a very, like, um, what's the word, healthy environment, she shielded us from a lot of the normal experiences that children have growing up, which is, again, like, a good thing in some ways. But I remember, and obviously pretty extroverted and being young and just like seeing other kids in school and not understanding why can't I just go to school like everybody else. Mm. I want to go to school. And then I got social anxiety. And as an adult, I've had a lot of people make comments to me like, you're not like a lot of the other homeschool kids, to which I always reply, there are two types of homeschoolers, religious and hippie. And <laughs> not to be oversimplified about it, but a lot of the times the people who are religious can be very insular. They project a lot of their own beliefs onto their children in a structured environment. And I suppose you can get the same thing even when you have like, you know, like the hippies, like I, I will not let Scott have a microwave in the house, but we use cell phones. Does that make any sense? No, but that's sort of the belief system that I grew up with. Okay. And that leads to not necessarily faith in the religious sense, but I think we all have like core beliefs that we hold to be true. And some people, especially in the modern world, think that religion is faith. No, faith is anything that you believe without a rational ability to prove it. I believe there's something that's not great about microwaves. Why? Nobody knows. But That's I also drink Diet Coke. As you know, because <laughs> you've seen me slam a Diet Coke. So no, you, you, were, you opened up a Celsius and you're like, <laughs> have you ever had these? They're great. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm into like trying new things. I'm like, but is there any, yep. like, I don't know, yep. added sugar or something? Mm -hmm. And you're like, all the craps in there. 100%. Like all the aspartame. I'm like, okay, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah. Nope, it makes sense. Okay, so well, I just want to know, tell me about the microwave. Is it just because... It was something that you grew up with, or is there more of a belief there? What is it? So it's a little bit of both. Well, you're right, yes. It's partially for me almost like a sensory thing where I feel like food that's microwaved almost inevitably doesn't taste as good. It doesn't take that long to heat it up. 
like just put it in a toaster oven, put it on a stove. It's going to taste better because you're heating it properly. Like I always look at them. Um, I get these little bao buns for my daughter from Costco. It's like you can microwave them or you steam them. We steam them and they're delicious because you have a chance to let the steam permeate it. It's not going to taste good in a microwave. Not to mention, side note, that you own a baking company. You do. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's a little yes. bit of a bias there. Of there's like... 100% of bias. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we're very fortunate to have like... I guess what could be called a slower life in a fast-paced world where I spend a lot of time at home. I'm very fortunate and privileged to have the option to stay home with my kids that not every single mother has. And that allows me to cook more and be in the kitchen more and make choices that don't always revolve around let's get out the door Sure, go. good point. Um, but it's also like microwaving things in plastic. I don't know. Like you're heating the plastic Food definitely changes nutrients as it grows. Like a green banana has totally different vitamins than a ripe banana. It does different things to your body. I just, for me, I don't know enough about the process, and it kind of icks me out. But then I also do know that McDonald's isn't great and Diet Coke isn't great. But you know what? We we definitely do both of those things. I love McDonald's. I'm not going to lie. I love McDonald's cheeseburgers. They're so good. Yeah. They're just like a and really nice I texture. do drink regular Coke. Oh, you do? Yes. yes. I'll take, yes. So that's my thing. So I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, but always, I've, if that's always kind of been like my treat. If I'm going to have something, mm-hmm. I'm going to have the regular Coke. But anyway, so yes, no, I like, there's plenty of things that we shouldn't eat that are not good for us. But, um, but again, back to the, my, well, wait, hold on a minute. What if you get, what if something's being microwaved at McDonald's? I didn't say it was consistent. Okay, I didn't okay. say it made any sense. That's the whole point. And no, I, th- I yeah. think that's what I meant about faith is faith is very irrational. And I think the beauty of what you're doing is it sort of strips down a lot of these beliefs yeah. and assumptions that we have are unintentional biases because we grow up with a certain culture, we grow up in communities, and then the community becomes a reflection of who you are. And if you don't have a chance to step outside of that community and have some introspection for what's going on, it is very, very easy to either get hostile of people who are different or make assumptions based on maybe experiences you have with someone who might look like that person or have the same religion, but it's not the same person. Mm. So... For example, I'm a Jew, and one of my closest friends is a hijab-wearing, conservative Muslim, kick-ass lady lawyer, who's going to be very upset for me for already dropping her in this. (laughs) So we'll just wait and let her introduce herself. But I have friends who, I, I don't want to say that they're triggered by hijab, but they have such strong reactions to it because of the global environment right now. And I'm like, do you realize, you probably don't, and I understand your own reservations and fears and whatever, but when you look at someone and all you see is the fear that you have over the representation of who you think they are, that is vastly unfair on that person. Mm. Let the person talk. Don't make assumptions based on whatever you've experienced before. And the beauty of how I've grown up is I grew up in a lot of different places that forces you to be an outsider. Outside perspective is hard, but it's empathy building because you realize that's what's extremely rude somewhere 
is totally socially acceptable somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then that gives you a little bit more grace when you're dealing with somebody else who might be coming in and learning the new rules and like kind of like the new kid at school or sure. however you want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your homeschooling like after you take a sip of water? Mm. Interesting. Um, I don't want to say chaotic, but definitely more on the unschooling, hippie-led flavor. I think that, you know, also when you do something like homeschooling, every parent has their own style. And you do tend to run into extremes. And I do not want to imply that, like, you have to be religious to be extreme. Like, again, no sugar, no TV. I also didn't have any sports. And I found my love of sports later in life. It would have been great to be on a bunch of teams when I was younger. But again, would have, should have. What were the benefits of it? Understanding that for children, what you need to do sometimes to get them to learn is just to give them nothing to do and let them mm. explore their own personality and their own sort of like intellectual curiosity. I think that's something that they do a lot more in Europe, particularly in like Scandinavian cultures when it comes to education. And in America, we tend to be so focused on success and drive and expose your child to everything. Not, no one can do everything. Mm -mm. It's not realistic. That's why there's so many of us on the planet. Yeah. And it's cool. I'll have to be able to, <laughs> if we all did the same thing, we would be effed. It would be a little weird and it would be very boring. We would never get effed, anything right. done. Yeah, we wouldn't. You're right. Like, we would need, we need the astrophysicists and like the, all the people. That's the only person I can think of right now. Yeah. <laughs> the doctors. We need mm -hmm. all the people that are all the things. No, but just to pull back in and answer your question, and uh, I think this actually dovetails very nicely, I have very much ADD, ADHD, sensory processing disorder. You know, it, it tends to be on a spectrum. I think I'm a little more pronounced than some of the other people I know. Um, and sometimes people make assumptions about like how much attention I'm paying or my intelligence level. And just to be completely disclosure, I'm medicated now, but I grew up not even knowing I had a learning disorder. I didn't get diagnosed until college because I homeschooled. I went from homeschool straight to a small independent school in the UK with very small class sizes. And it was only until I sort of got pushed out into a large university setting that I was like, what the heck is going on? So it's Were you like, people aren't like me or I'm not like other people? I just wasn't able to, to like dial in and do what I needed okay. to do because I just was so used to doing what I wanted and being independent, which is very, it's very Montessori. We toured a Montessori school. I'm like, oh, that's homeschooling, but you're basically doing it outside of the house. That sort of model at least was my homeschooling experience where it's, you know, some days we'd read a book, some days we'd go for a hike, but a lot of it was unschooling, which is just you let your child figure out their own intellectual curiosity. And play. And play. And there were definitely downsides to that in terms of social, academics, science-based things that require labs. But it was also really nice for me growing up to never feel like I had disability, air quotes. I feel right. very strongly about do not tell children who are neurodiverse they're disabled. Don't tell anyone they're disabled, actually. It doesn't matter. Everyone has gifts and things they bring to the table. But I think that when you have a setting like a school, unintentionally what happens is everyone has to be a cog in the wheel. And this is very much something I'm working with my son because he just didn't realize the rules apply to him, bless him. He was like, wait, I have to listen to the teachers? And I was like, yes. He was like, oh, oh. 
So, and I give him lavender so when he starts having outbursts, he calms down and he learns to emotionally regulate because I understand that from my own neurodiversity. But if someone came to me and was like, we're going to put him on meds and we're going to get him a specialist so he has extra time on his test because he has a disability, I'd be like, no. No, you're not. And for people who do that, great. That's your choice. What would you do? I would do what I'm doing now, which is work closely with the teachers to make sure that he's comfortable in the class and he's also creating an environment around him where he's not being a disruptive influence to those around him and see how much adjustment we can make. And after that, I would explore alternate forms of education, Montessori, homeschooling. Mm. And again, I feel super privileged because I say all this and I realize I have so many choices based on you know where we are in the world, based on the town that we live in and the educational resources here. So a lot of that is not just like you know me being a mama bear, it's having the empowerment to make those decisions for your child. Sure. And there's, you know, there are children who 100% need medication and parents who prescribe it, they do well. There are children who need therapy and specialists and everything else. But for me, looking at a child who's like rubber stamp of my and my husband's personality, I'm like, I feel like I know what this is. I feel like if I had been in the classroom, I would have probably had the same behavioral issues. But because I was pulled out of that environment, let me try and figure out a way that doesn't involve putting medication into a developing brain or having a specialist follow my intelligent, bright, you know, very charismatic son around all day to make sure he's not yelling. Let's just try and fix the yelling. Instead of fixing the problem, let's come up with a better wellness solution that suits him better. Sure. It's like, I'm not, I'm comparing in a different way, but like kids who cannot sit still. It's like, this was my husband. Finally, a teacher was like, I'm putting you at the back of the room. You can stand. Like, still be a part of the classroom. We're not excluding you from this classroom. Everyone learns differently. Everyone needs a space to feel comfortable in this classroom. So, yes, I agree. I love that, of that you're just saying, like, let's figure out, you know, a way within this and not be like, okay, you're going to go to a room for extra time or yeah. let's put them on meds. It's like... Or let's pull them out and homeschool them or send them to a paid Montessori because, again, those are resources that are not available for everybody. Right. And not every mother wants to make the choice. When, when mothers want to have careers, they should. But I think that's just a beautiful solution. And the teachers at my son's school have just been so amazing about, like, they listen and they so want him to succeed. And then when he sees that sort of, like, cheerleading happen and he understands that, yes, the rules apply to everybody, but he's not, like, for a little while, he's like, I'm a bad boy. He would say stuff mm. like that. And I was like, that breaks your heart. it breaks your heart. But again, these are just assumptions he's making because he's a child trying to navigate this big world with all these new people and these big sounds and being able to just pull back and be like, go stand in the back of the class or go smell your lavender so you remember to take a deep breath. Just little things like that. Mm. You know, like just letting people live in a way that's comfortable for them instead of assuming that everyone has the same set of skills. Right, like right. You said, it'd be boring and also like probably not a, not, not, not good. And we wouldn't learn anything. And we wouldn't We'd learn anything. Be, yeah, yeah. That was really good, all that. Well, thank you for, you know, <laughs> just like <laughs> I launching even asked a, a platform. You yeah. just launched a platform to start conversations like this, like mm -hmm. not to like turn them back on you, but there's something very amazing about people who are creative 
because when you're creative, you're making something, and it's very easy just to focus on reality TV and what's this person doing, and like, we're women, we love, we love drama. Sometimes it's fun, mm -hmm. it's fun, but does it feed your soul? Probably not, not like doing something like this mm -hmm. and going out and engaging with people and helping them engage with themselves. Like there's something really, yeah. really special about that. Well, I love being, I love being a mom. I love wearing all the hats I wear, but like, yes, I'm a creative being and I feel like there's purpose to me being on this planet and it's not just to be, I don't know. I don't want to say not just to be a mom. That is that is a big portion of my life and everything that makes me me and brings me joy and all that stuff. Um, but there is this part of me that needs to put things out into the world in order to just, I don't know if it, it it's not even about me. It's not leaving a piece of me out there. I just want to leave questions out there for people to ask themselves. And like, this is forever going to be kind of, out there in the ether even after I'm gone right and if I don't know I just I just I feel like we all have a purpose and sometimes it's not just being a cog in the wheel sometimes it's a little bit more than that so this is like my more than that mm -hmm. um do you yeah. uh, did you ever read Virginia Woolf no growing up so she's a she's uh, I was an English major female author grew up in the UK she was also like a hippie commune type. You can actually tour the house that she moved into with a bunch of other writers who were like, you're not drafting us, absolutely not. But one of her things, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, and you might actually get an angry comment from a lit professor or someone who knows more than me, is that the stone you kick will outlast Shakespeare. And that's mm. interesting idea that like everyone who creates art, you are leaving something behind, but it isn't permanent. At the same time, though, it can be beautiful. All right, this is something she definitely said. <laughs> Match inside of a crocus. Just like something that's just beautiful. And it's just a moment of beauty. And you see it, you appreciate it, you experience it. I think sometimes our modern culture pulls us away from that as well, which is why you ground and you sit and you put your phone down. How often do you go to a concert and everyone's looking at it through a tiny screen? Why bother? Just watch it. Right, on, just watch, watch it. On Instagram stories. Yeah. Because you're recording Everyone else is recording. All you're getting is a recording of people's cell phones. Yeah. Just like, just enjoy what you're experiencing right. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I know. I, I will say, I mean, I've definitely been that person that has recorded. I'm thinking of Dave Matthews in particular. But, like, I am, here, I'm just going to put, like, a different perspective on that, too. Sometimes in those moments, probably all the times that I'm in those moments feeling like I need to take my phone out is because it is such a powerful present yep, moment yep. that I almost, I want to like bottle it up in my phone. Yeah. And you also want to share work. it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Let me show somebody. Right. Or yeah. even be able to look back on, I don't know, but yes, be here now. Like mm -hmm. that's why I have a B on my hand because I look that. down and mm -hmm. I just, I, it's be here now. Like be where your feet are. That's what I have. I have a compass. And yeah, I have a compass too. Yeah, it's that way you look at it and you're reminded. And you can also use it for lucid dreaming, which is a real scientifically oh, yes. proven thing. Don't get me started with oh, dreams. I mean, we can if you want. I've got a book on lucid dreaming you can borrow when you leave if you I like. I don't know what is happening to me in my dreams. <laughs> I go to the same place. Yeah, it's fun though, isn't it? To see. And it's I think nuts. 
I don't know if it's like people remember things differently or like Stephen King writes a lot about dreams and it's like, is it a certain type of personality that has these like big ideas and does that create art or does everyone have it and some people are just like able to remember it because some people just don't remember their dreams but it's something you can right. work on. It's a muscle you can flex and for my kids, especially my daughter, she was having nightmares and I started to just tell her like, that's why I started doing it because if you have a really intense nightmare that feels real but you can realize you're asleep and the way I do it is I look at this and the language center of your brain I guess doesn't work in dreams if it doesn't have north south east west where it's supposed to I've only done it a couple times in your dreams you mm -hmm. look at it you yeah if you can yes okay you know you train your mind so that you do it during the day and you question during the day am I awake mm. and they did studies that showed that when people became awake in their dreams they're like their brain chemistry change. So this is not just like some, huh? what does Scott say? Don't talk to me about it. It's so like, just take your fancy rocks and go. Like, just go. <laughs> I don't want to know. Just like, <laughs> I don't There's need There's something the there I'm totally going to ask him about your fancy rocks oh, when yeah. I get to podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. like, tell me about cat's rocks. What do they mean to you? Or don't you love them? <laughs> He's going to be like, please no. The man tries so hard just to live in a world of rationality and science and math and spreadsheets. And then I come in and I'm like, Oh, let's talk I about love dreams. That. Yeah, oh yeah, because like, there's so many, yeah. like, just you can have healthy conversations about that. Just be like, well, how do you explain this? Or, or Plus, growing up in Hawaii, I don't know where your husband's from, but, like, Hawaii is a, I don't know. It's an enigma. It's magical. Mm -hmm. It is otherworldly. Yep. Yep. It's a bit of a um, vortex in my, like, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's stuff going on there. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I agree with that. I mean, you have volcanic soil. Don't take the volcanic rock. Do rocks. not take the rocks. I, yep, never oh, have. no, 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 no. Talk about how mm -hmm. much mail Hawaii gets just mm -hmm. from, like, take the rocks back. Take the rocks back. Whoops, my bad. To yeah. the point where there's a really cool little antique store in the Berkshires called Asia Barong. Do you antique? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. I love antiquing and the Berkshires is I a great place. I the sweater in the Berkshires, actually. Oh, my gosh. That's a good find. Uh, it was from okay. a little place in Stockbridge. We'll Maybe take we this can offline. antique sometime. We will. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. So there's a little store. Okay. They have these lava fish statues. They're so cool. Like, you made them out of lava or They're made like out of lava, yeah. Actually, the little the Buddha that's right outside, that's from some Tibetan temple, and there's lots of those, and I have okay, no problem when I'm out there. bringing them home and sticking them at the front door. But those fish, I'm like... Does it matter that someone else brought it back? Well, you can find lava stone <laughs> like in crystal shops yeah. or other. So that's what I wonder. I'm mm -hmm. like, wait, is this? I mean, there's other places that have lava, right? Like there's volcanoes in the continental U.S. So I'm saying like there could be volcanic rock that uh -huh. could be taken from other not Hawaii to be made with those. But is it saying it's Hawaiian? So on the fish? It doesn't, but you just don't know. You're and right. So then are you like, am I bringing something into my house? Yeah, that's true. And that honestly is a question people should ask themselves more. What are you bringing into your house? What are the energies you're bringing into your house? What, what friends do you have? Like, I think that in terms of mindless consumption, we also bring things in. We throw them out. We buy new things when we need them. I'm guilty of this. Amazon, tap, tap, boom. There are five boxes outside. Mm -hmm. Sure, you don't use Ziploc bags, but look at all those boxes. Like, the more aware you are, like, maybe you're not going to make a giant difference, like, you know, Taylor Swift buying her own carbon footprint back, which is what she does every time she takes her jet, even though people love to, like, just talk about how 
hypocritical it is. Actually, Bill Maher said that. He's like, everyone is eco-conscious until the jet comes out. Oh he's like, God. I yeah. do it, Leo does it. But you can actually offset that by purchasing it back. And I think that's the thing with some place like Hawaii is because it is so pristine. When you, when you take from a place like that, especially a place that's very grounded in, um, do you ever read Neil Gaiman? No, I need more book recommendations. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll send you okay. I'm gonna send you home with some. But one of the things that he writes about, and he is my favorite author, just to be totally okay. transparent, of all time, amazing. Got to meet him at the Bushnell once. That was cool. Um, but he talks about gods, and there's this book called American Gods, and it's a little long, but it's so worth reading. And the idea is, as we become a less religious society, we find our faith in other things. We make TV our God. We make social acceptance our God. Whatever you put as sort of like an irrationally held belief system that is very important to you to the point where, like with the microwave, I'll defend it without knowing why, that in a way is its own sort of God, like lower G, mm. and no disrespect whatsoever to people who are monotheistic. Um, but a lot of cultures are polytheistic, and Hawaii is polytheistic, and they have a very, very entrenched sort of, um, I don't know, like Native spirituality, very similar to Native American spirituality, except it's still intact there because it was colonized so recently. Mm. And I think if you have enough people telling you that the rock you got is cursed by an angry volcano god that's upset because you didn't take your flip-flops off, Eventually, you're going to internalize that, and then something bad happens to you. Like, oh, it's the rock. Well, it's enough people it. if they believe in something yes. and put it out there. Uh -huh. I mean, really. And then you believe it too, and that's probably why all the rocks get nailed back. Not because it is any more like maybe pernicious than other lava, but enough people know about this, and maybe they're just messing with people because they can. And maybe it's just power of thought of power people of thought. being like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. or but I don't know. But I feel like people. I feel like it's a combination, obviously, there's all kinds of people that are taking the lava rock. There's going to be people that are like, oh, I don't believe this. I'm going to take it home. And then there's going to be people that like, oh, I love Hawaii. It's so beautiful here. I'm going to take a little piece of it home, not knowing. Yep. Right. Right? So like there's both those people. And 100%. I, I'd like to hear both sides of that. That'd be interesting. We'll have to yeah. get like a little sample survey of people who've taken lava rocks and see what their different experiences <laughs> are. I feel like you've answered a lot of the questions I asked, but I haven't asked any of them, so I should probably ask them so that, you know. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Kat, have you ever had an experience in life when you've had to be brave? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that everyone is brave every single day. I see my children be brave. I see my husband be brave. Fear is an interesting thing because fear in some ways keeps us safe. And I don't know if it's, we live in a world where our fear signals get scrambled up because we're not hunting and gathering or, you know, farming or doing those other things that we did for so many years before the Industrial Revolution. But I think sometimes our fear signals get a little rewired and we, you know, the idea that bravery has to be forced upon you. Well, no, sometimes being brave is a little reckless. Sometimes you put yourself into situations where you're like, oh, I, I lit that candle and inadvertently almost burned the house down. Let's not talk about that too much on air. But <laughs> did it happen? Yes. So certain people who are 
lack that fear gene, my youngest is like that. I pick him up by his ankles and he laughs and I drop him towards the floor, which again, this just shows a lot about me as a parent as well as him. He is relaxed and he laughs. I'm like, oh, you're gonna be jumping out of a plane by the time you're 12. You have no fear. Hmm. And that scares me as the mom because yeah. I sort of see that version of myself. So I think that yes, I, everyone is brave every single day. I've had a life that has had a lot of extremely unique experiences. The scariest thing I think I've ever done personally, and this is probably the closest to thinking this is it, I'm done, was I was on a medical mission trip with my family. And my dad also does not have the fear gene. I think that's where the little one gets it from. <laughs> so he's not even picking up on this. We're on a plane that um, the FAA does not necessarily exist in the same way in South America. The seatbelts aren't working. Oh, it's a little genius. rickety. Again, if that's your trigger, this is not, this is not it. You're flying out to Andahuaylas, which is remote. There is no running water. It's cold. People still chew coca leaves. It is like, again, very much like a different planet, but it's also South America and it's Peru during a time of civil unrest. So the plane makes an unexpected stop and all of a sudden these two dudes get on the plane with machine guns and I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> Look at all these nice white people. Mm -mm. Goodbye. Like, done. Mm. So all they needed to do was load a sick terrorist on a stretcher onto the plane to take him to another prison, I think. But you're also looking at this person and you're like, okay, am I going to be shot? Is this an infectious disease? What the heck is going on there? But when you're in a situation like that, you don't even get to be brave because you don't have a choice. Right, you don't know until after, uh -huh. yeah. You might freak out and start screaming and then draw attention to yourself. So I think most people, you freeze. And that's, that plane was quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. No one was going to argue with the dude with the machine gun. It's like, fine, you do. Yeah, sure. We got space. The fact that they're just throwing a terrorist <gasps> on your... And weight regulations. What is that? Nobody knows. Oh, my God. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And that well, is... Well, the seatbelts weren't working, yeah. so that's, you know... But is that bravery? Or is bravery doing something like being the kid at school who sees the kid who's a little socially awkward and the other kids who you desperately want to fit in with are like, oh, like not necessarily even being mean, but just cold shouldering that person. And are you going to be the person who walks over to that kid and says, hi, how are you? That's brave Do you too. want to sit with me? That bravery, I think, is actually more valid than what I just described because I think what we think of as bravery is like, ooh, life-threatening situation. It's like the movies. No, bravery is a choice that people make every single day to show up and do not the right thing, but what they feel is the correct decision, even if it doesn't necessarily benefit them. I think some people are not better at us than others, but like we're just a little more nuts. And that's why, you know, we, I also do things at the gym that probably put me on the trainer's watch list because they're like, eventually she's going to fall. And <laughs> then we're going to call somebody because that's not how the box jumps are supposed to be used. Let's work on your abs before the box shows. I know. I work out at the JCC, and I every single time I get there, I get into some sort of a, not altercation, but a light conversation <laughs> with an older gentleman who's inevitably also Jewish about whether or not the box jumps are for jumping or for storing equipment and doing, like, planks on and the other things they like to do because they rehab a lot of people. And I'm like, I'll just be here for 30 to 90 minutes doing a very chaotic workout that's not planned. I don't write anything down, and I'm sorry. Let's just, let's find a way to make this work for Maybe both of us. Maybe just come to the gym at a different uh -huh. And then sometimes I post and like my friends, especially ones that are medical, I'm thinking of one person is especially high, Jen, if you hear this, she's like, 
I've stitched up a lot of shins from people like you. And I'm like, oh, that's a good reminder. Oh, I'm uh, still yeah. going to go out there. And I got a hole in these leggings because I fell on the tennis court. Just, you know. Oh, well, that's a little fall. bit harder to do than right. falling, doing a box jump. Because It is. But still. Is that bravery, though? Or is that just being impulsive? What is brave? Brave is more, it's something that you you know the consequence might not be in your benefit or maybe you're worried about social ostracization, or it might be just like you give someone their wallet back with the 20 bucks in it, you hand it in. That's brave. Brave is is doing things that are consistent with character character when no one's looking. That's mm. what that means to mm. me. And people are brave in so many different ways, and you don't have to be the dude jumping out of the plane right. to be brave. You can be the kid who's standing up to the people at school who are being exclusive and not necessarily even being bullies, but like... Let's face it, we've all been in situations where we felt like we're on the outside, and it sucks. Yeah. We're tribal animals. We want to be around people, and we're right. just sort of wired to think like that and respond to people like that. Yeah, we want to belong and feel like we belong, even if we're not like everyone else. Well, what makes you feel free? Being outside and jumping on things, rollerblading, <laughs> playing tennis. <laughs> Jumping, well, jumping on the boxes. Jumping on but, the box um, jumps. I was also a cheerleader for a hot minute, and I sometimes explain that to people so they don't look at my workout and be like, she, why? She just dropped her kids off. Why, why are we more worried about her than the high school kids? Because the Hartford Athletic also works out there. Yeah. I just like to do running jumps. It makes me feel, it makes me feel something. Well, you jump a lot before your tennis matches. I do. Yeah. 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 I just, I like it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's what, that's, that's what's freeing to me. And maybe that's why the claustrophobia is my fear because I love feeling like I can just run and, be playful and, and yeah, just have a little of that dopamine hit that you get when you get the a little adrenaline rush. You're, you're nodding because you play tennis. You know yeah, what I'm talking about. No, I about. get it. Yeah. And totally. it's not everyone's personality. Some people feel much more free reading a book or engaging in other activities that are, you know. Yeah. Well, to each their own. Can I ask you the same question? Is it all right if I, if I interview the oh interviewer? Oh my gosh. I've never had anyone ask me oh that. Oh gosh. It's oh. kind of interesting though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think just like, Lately, freedom for me is being, uh, I don't know if I can put this in here, um, like feeling like I have my own sense of self, like feeling like I'm not anybody's anything. Mm, I love that. Like not having to be a mom, not having to be a wife, not having to do anything, like I don't know like that it's a like it's actually kind of like a kind of a pure sense of freedom being an individual like yeah, yeah like just being independent and having like my own sense of like mm -hmm. I have control over my own life even though I'm encapsulated by a bubble of a lot of people that take care of me and I take care of them like I don't know there's just I have these little moments of I am living in Liz's body and doing Liz's things and I'm not anything else. And mm -hmm. I think that's where I find freedom. That's cool. And I think for a mom, especially, it's very easy to lose that identity because we take on these roles as nurturers and caretakers. We take on careers. We take on so many things and everyone talks about self-care and this and that and the other, but that is self-care. That, is, that mm -hmm. ability to figure out who you are and to be curious about it. And, and that too, to me, is a form of bravery. And sure. 
I don't know if you noticed this painting up here, but just because you brought that up, I have to tell you the story of this. Yeah. I made that in a paint night yeah. in 20 minutes. I, I walked in because my daughter wanted to do it. It was $36 for the canvas. It was like this polar bear on a black, like black pink colors. I was like, oh, no, that's not going anywhere in my house. I'm already here. Let's just do something. And that's what I did. That's awesome. It's the, and people looked and you, at me like the fact that you did something completely different. Why not? That was what was in my head. And that is actually an allegory for the life of Pi, which is a beautiful mm, movie. Yeah. And that is to me the tiger that <laughs> helps us do better who's in the life raft because I was thinking about it in terms of competition and especially at the time I was running a professional agency and sometimes people in a professional setting to small businesses they will they'll go after something you have because it's already an established client yes, yeah and what I realized is if this stings it definitely hurts me it makes me feel inadequate it makes me feel like I trusted someone and my trust was taken advantage of however it makes me better at my job because now I have to be a defensive and I have to figure out what were the weaknesses and what I was offering. And that's sort of like that tiger allegory. So all of this is going through my head while I'm just blissfully doing something totally different. And people are looking at me like, wow, okay, sure. There's always one. Mm. It's usually me, but there's always one. And I, and I love it. And I recently moved him out of the bathroom and put him on the mantelpiece because he was like, you know what? Is it the best piece of art? No, but it's something I made. And it has a story. Yeah. And it's it's the colors I wanted. And it's what I wanted to do for right. self-expression. Right. And it's your class. You can make whatever can. the hell you want. You totally can. Right? It's mm -hmm. like one of my favorite quotes from the woman that changed my life, Glennon Doyle, is she talks about being in a hot yoga class and hating every second of it. Oh, interesting. And then afterwards saying to herself, the door wasn't even locked. Huh? I could have walked out anytime I, I wanted. Out. Why did I force yeah. myself and torture myself of just being in this hot yeah. yoga class that I hated? Yeah. The door wasn't even locked. It's like saying the canvas is blank. Yeah. I can put whatever I want on that. I don't have to put on what that person's telling me to right. put on. Right. Like, anyway, I love that. And I love that more that I know the meaning behind it now. So my grandfather passed away several years ago, but he was what can only be described as a prolific artist. He never did it for money he always just did it to have like just meaning in his life and the fight over the rice pots also extends to the fights over the paintings okay <laughs> i have one hopefully yeah, i was gonna I say hopefully one. there are more paintings mm -hmm. than just one yes but our family is originally from barcelona which it's interesting when you start thinking about this in terms of like where you come from so barcelona is not the birthplace of surrealism necessarily but one of the most fundamentally important places for surrealism, which is what I did my thesis on, mm. partially because I did a gap year there and I was so inspired by seeing like Park Guell and Gaudi and Picasso and all these different artists. That's kind of in that style. And as sure. he started to get older, his hands shook so much he couldn't draw. So instead he started Photoshopping pictures of bell peppers over the ocean, or he would take pictures of the children and like Photoshop in, like so they looked like giants with their toys. And I actually have an uncle who's a photographer mm -hmm. and he does very similar things. He took a picture of my daughter in like her Hogwarts uniform and made it look like she was on a Harry Potter poster. That's cool. It's fun, it's yeah. just be playful and look, People say stuff like, I'm not artistic. I hate that. I it's do like too. saying, I'm not good at tennis. Guess what? I'm not good at tennis. If I did, I would play on TV. There are so many different levels to things. Yeah. 
don't tell children they're bad at things. Just let them be. Like, right, right, yeah, right. Like, and who care? Like, like, first of all, isn't that up to them? Like, yes. if you're bad at something, why does it matter to someone else? Like, I don't care. I like doing it. I don't care if I'm bad at it. We're, yeah, our brains are just, they go there of like wanting to, well, I don't think we ever tell people they're bad at things. We shouldn't tell people they're bad at things. But I think we tend to tell ourselves we're sure, bad at things. Sure, of course. Have you yeah. ever been in a singles match where you start like just beating yourself up? And then sometimes I'll catch myself and be like, when I have a doubles partner, unless that person's just, you know, sometimes you get those coconuts and you're just like, I'm just not going to talk to you. You know <laughs> what I'm true, talking about. But you would you never know. tell your yes. doubles partner the things that you're saying to yourself in your head. No. Right? I no, know. you wouldn't. But when we do it to ourselves, it's always like, Come on, Kluger. Like, I call myself my last name. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. If I played with me, I wouldn't play with me because I'm a jerk yeah. to myself. Sure, right. We're mean to ourselves. Women especially, I think we internalize this, like, almost imposter syndrome that we shouldn't be good at this and we shouldn't shine too bright. And if we do, you know, what are you supposed to do? Smile, look pretty, not be threatening. That's what women do. Not say too much. Not say too much. And look, sometimes that's people's vibes. Oh, yeah, fuck that. No, I'm no, not. That's no. not. I'm not people's vibes. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's fine. Not, but not that I'm going to come out blazing and be like, no. good, but, I'm, but if someone says, if something, somebody in a public space that I'm like in a conversation, if they say something that's like super out asshole-ish and just not appropriate, like I'm going to be the one that's going to be like, yeah, probably not. You're going to check them. And that also is bravery. What do you know to be true? Very little. What do I feel to be true and what do I know to be true? Totally different things. I think that everyone, again, has their own version of truth. And when you were just saying this, I was just thinking, and the, you know, just in the concepts of mean behavior, whatever, bullet, it's easy to throw labels at people. That's what we do in the movies. There's the good guy and the bad guy, and the good guy wins, and the bad guy goes and suffers. And we like that. There's something about that that's very appealing to us. It's like, justice. Mm. That's what's supposed to happen. Does that happen? No, because the world is not black and white. People are not good and bad. There are people who do things that are bad and there are people who do things that are atrocious. Absolutely. And it's never okay to, you know, take your pain out on another person, but pretty much everyone who's hurting another person is hurt on the inside too. And their truth is again, this sort of like Whatever gods they're setting up in their own mind, are they? their god is fear versus bravery. Their god is social acceptance versus creativity. They're choosing things that don't have authenticity for them. So I guess the best answer I could give to that is truth is being authentic to yourself. And if you can do that, you can create your own truth. And then if you have the ability to stand by that self-created truth, even when people around you are sort of telling you not to, that leads to brave. So those two things, I think, intersect a little, but a lot of it comes from authenticity, which is one of the strongest emotions, by the way. It's not love. Mm. It's authenticity. People know. People can feel it. And that's why I wanted to do this in person with you, because nonverbal communication is so important. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of ironic saying that on a podcast, but... Yeah, but no, I love that. I That's the first time I've ever heard anyone kind of wrap those up. I mean... And it makes total sense. Um, I love that. I love the questions you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to talk about with True? Because I feel like you just said all that beautifully, but I don't want to take away if there's something else you want to talk about with that until I, I ask you something else. 
I'm always a little reluctant to talk about my life and my experiences. And I think the reason why is because the world is very large and I've seen a lot of it. And I think that that makes certain people feel like they're experiences are limited or limiting because they haven't had that sort of like bouncing around effect. I know for Scott, he loves to travel, but he grew up in Connecticut. He grew up in this culture, specifically sort of like this, I call it his West Hartford Jewish bubble. And I tell that with the utmost respect for him and what he grew up with, but I'm like, babe, there is so much of the world you've never seen. There is so much of your own privilege which you take for granted and one of the things that absolutely grinds my gears is when you have someone particularly a wealthy person who says something along the lines of I wish I could be as happy as people in third world countries I'm like oh wow you should be happy your children have a bed to sleep in you should be happy that you never even question where they are at night you should be happy you don't have to give your children to orphanages because you can't afford to feed them what you're seeing is not necessarily happiness it's more self-actualization because you don't feel limited by the privilege you won't look at open your eyes i was gonna say it's open a privilege just around. to have that thought yes it is a privilege to have that thought and i think when we limit our ability to appreciate what we have it's because we're internalizing our own struggles and sort of making ourselves this main character energy everyone's the main character everyone's life matters everyone makes a difference and my children know the best way to get a lecture is to say something like, when am I getting a new toy? Or when are we doing this? Or I'm bored. If you say I'm bored, I'm giving you math homework. <laughs> if you ask for a new toy, we're going to go upstairs and find one of the toys in the playroom. And we're going to make sure it means something to you. And then we're going to go drop it off. And you're going to see the look of pure joy that goes on someone's face because that might be a child who's never had a toy before. Mm. And you're <clears> going <throat> to realize, I have 20 toys upstairs. There are children who don't. Right. There are children who don't. So the world is not small. We make ourselves small when we refuse to see what we have. And you can do that if you live everywhere. You can do that if you never leave your own town. Mm -hmm. But just take some time, especially for us who are fortunate enough to live in the West and privileged enough to live in this beautiful sort of little bubble that's sort of like Farmington Valley. Take some time to really think about what other people experience. Because if you do that, you will appreciate what you have automatically. Mm. It sounds dumb, but it's true. If you want to be happy, just go help somebody else. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. I can't like face certain things in the world yeah. because it'll affect me so deeply yeah. and I'll feel helpless that I, I can't yep. do anything about it. And I think a lot of people feel like that. It's that sort of empathy that's like, oh. and you know, that's why doctors are so special. And I recently was in an ER because of, you know, just the, complications with eating and expired condiments which don't do don't eat the expired condiment and I think a out. lot of us might overlook the date on a yes. condiment because oh. we just like keep them on the fridge shelf uh -huh. yeah wow yeah. okay good advice again, cat like, got food poisoning from cat condiments poisoning. so cat was in the yard ER and cat's looking at these people who are dealing with not just oh, catastrophe Jesus. but you just see people who are they're just there because were you in the Hartford Hospital ER I was oh geez that is the it's one of the vibe. worst places to be I, at some point, I actually used the word DMV from hell, and I got a really dirty look from somebody. I'm like, I am so sorry. That didn't land well. Oh, <laughs> that I was think not it's that thing to I say. I think it's worse than that. Mm -hmm. So I got discharged after being there for 10 hours. I got Uber Eats. I got Shake Shack, because that's who I am, and your girl was hungry. Look at you. I, I never get thought of doing it. They'll bring that to you in the hospital? Oh, no. You have to go outside. And if you walk outside with the IV hook still in your arm, the nurse will give you a very stern lecture, because I guess some people have 
opioid addictions and they leave with them. But no, I got two cheeseburgers. I gave one to a homeless guy. I gave him the blanket I had. He was so happy. A Everyone's hospital blanket? Li- no, I bought oh. a blanket from home. <laughs> I said like hearing it like the hospital blankets away to hold this guy. And I'm trying to stuff it back in my bag and I'm like, how many throw blankets do I have? He looks cool. Let me just hand it to him. Oh my gosh. And the PA who I was harassing the whole time was like, You're not as spicy as I thought. And I was like, I, I mean I still am, but yeah. you know. But um I kind of lost where I was going with it. Yeah, why we were talking <laughs> Um <laughs> Sorry. Oh, like you the were... empath like seeing. So for a doctor yes. I do not have the emotional depth to be able to look at somebody who's clearly suffering in pain, probably on some sort of narcotics, and still treat them with the same neutral compassion and care as I do. Like To be able to make those sort of clinical decisions is also a form of bravery. And that's kind of like, not the opposite of empathy, but the inversion of it. And yeah, it is, it is hard to look. But Every time you do something good, even if it's small, you reset the scales a little bit. Mm. That burger I gave reset the scales a little bit. And yeah. also it, it just gave the, you know, the PA a little more firepower because all the other nurses were scared of me and they sent him <laughs> in to deal with me. And he's like, are you Italian? I was like, no. He's like, Latin? I was like, yes. He's like, what kind? I'm like, Cuban. He's like, oh, what? no. <laughs> Well, you guys are the worst because I guess we get a reputation. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so, funny. I know. And on the way out, he was like, "You're not that spicy after all." So that's my main character energy. Is I'm like, I just had this sort of like, the grumpy, like very not happy to be there person. But then it's like, oh, you see, sure, right. It's just like a little story, and yeah. that's you know that's fun. That's how I entertain myself throughout the day. Yeah, is telling these stories to myself. And again, that is what I give. Is I'll just run outside and grab a cheeseburger. I'm not supposed to get and if it's buy one get one for guess what that dude gets one too sure but everyone has their own gift the doctors give the lack of emotion you give a lot in terms of emotion you create art and Mm. every single time you make a little difference you heard the starfish story no that's a pretty one so there's a dude walking along the beach and there are all these starfish on the beach and there are thousands and they just wash up and they can't move they're on their backs he's throwing them back and somebody else asked him he's like what are you doing there's one of you there's a too many starfish here to count, you're not making any difference. And every time you throw one back, you make a difference for that starfish. You saved that little sea creature life. Every time you do something kind, you made that person's day better. You heal the wound, even if it's with somebody who maybe wasn't nice to you. When you're nice to somebody who maybe they'll accept it and maybe they don't, you heal yourself when you Mm -hmm. act like that. And it is difficult to look, and maybe that's been my privilege, is I've been able to, regardless of whether I want to or not, see enough to really appreciate that. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? That's a great question. Define paranormal. Okay. Um, You've seen a ghost. You've seen something weird in the sky. You've something that you can't explain. Um, A premonition. um, Bigfoot. (laughs) Weird rocks. Weird rocks? Weird rocks. Okay. What? Tell me. So I remember when we were on the tennis court together and we just all of a sudden we were like, you have angel numbers. Oh, I have angel numbers. Oh, you like crystals too. And I was just watching Caitlin clock this whole conversation. And like afterwards we had a whole like secondary conversation about it. She's like, cat, you did not throw out the doormat that said welcome. I was like, oh, I did though, because I don't want any energy to just feel like it can enter the house. So what's paranormal? Is it like 
Surrealism is above reality. Is paranormal something above the normal experience? What's normal? I don't know. I didn't grow up with a normal experience. So I guess the short answer is yes, but to the point where it doesn't necessarily scare me. It more piques my curiosity. Like sometimes the kids will say something like, especially the boys. So Ari would call them his dragons. Zach calls them his monsters. And sometimes he'll just be like, monster and he'll point and it's usually a cold spot in the house I'm like oh here we freaking go and then we talk about it and then I try and give him tools to see it not just as something that's scary because you don't see it mm. but like is this something scary or is this something that your mind is coding as scary because it doesn't have a word for it sure. also what the heck are you seeing yeah I want right. to know I wish I knew yeah and I think a lot of children see feel things and then we're over time, it's stamped out of us because we're told that's not real, that's not there. There's no monster under the bed. Right. So you say, who yeah, knows? Yeah, right. So you say. So yes, but also I think that everyone experiences different forms of, like the world is a rational and irrational place. And the more you can accept that there's way too much to know and that energy and energy work and understanding like sort of like cosmic balance and all of these things. Does that play into it? Maybe. It's sure. a big question. We'll go and get coffee and we'll talk about it right. more, <laughs> I think. But like, again, that comes back to faith. Does having a crystal um, mean necessarily affect my day? No, but does it ground me and give me a little confidence or even yeah. just something to hold that feels nice? Yes. I don't travel anywhere without black tourmaline and um, uh, selenite. Selenite. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I just have yeah. both of them with me all the yeah. time, like yeah. especially on a plane. That's like a but little yeah. security blanket for yeah. you know your feelings. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think happens when we die? I don't think we're supposed to know the answer to that. Obviously. I think that there are so many different belief systems out there in terms of religion and afterlife, or we don't know the afterlife, or we get reincarnated, or we rejoin nature. Like, I always think if it was up to me, maybe I'd like to be a hawk, and just like fly around and do hawk stuff all day. Seems simple, fun, you know, take mm -hmm. out some rodents, whatever, go about your merry way. But also when you get into Eastern cultures, you have not sort of ancestral worship in some places, but also veneration of that, and the idea that souls get recycled through families. And you talk to Christians, and it's like, no, there's heaven. And you're not going there because you don't believe what I believe. And thankfully, not every single Christian is like that. But there are some monotheistic religions who very much have all the answers. And I always say, good for you. Mm. I wish I knew sure. as much as you do. It must yeah. be nice yeah. to have such a good understanding of all these ancient belief systems. Yep. Amazing. And, and there is all one. Out. I feel like there is a, a general consensus of like near-death experiences mm -hmm. and what people have experienced yeah. there and like this just overwhelming feeling of love and okayness mm -hmm. like I feel like that's the closest thing we get to this is a consensus of like yeah people telling a story or an mm -hmm. experience just to backtrack to your paranormal um, comment though because I think that sometimes spiritual women, whatever you want to call it, the women with the weird rocks who throw out the welcome mats, people are like, you're crazy. You believe in all this stuff you can't see. And I'm like, uh, like you believe in sky Jesus who turns his body into like literal flesh for you? That's a belief system too that would be a little paranormal, don't you think? In the Bible, you talk about angels wandering around. Isn't that all paranormal? All of it. Ch church is a all weird... It. it checks out. Look at me. I don't, I am to each their own. Yes. I don't 
unless you're hurting people, then I have a problem with it. But like I go into a church, Hey, listen, I was a photographer for 12 years. I had a, I shot a lot of weddings. I saw a lot of different places. So I am just always mesmerized when I'm in a church. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's here? a lot We're going on in the blood of Christ. Yeah. Like you have frankincense uh-huh. burning over there, which is ritual. Exactly. Like, ritual. Yep. This is all ritual. 100%. It's not any different than any other ritual. No, it's not. It's not. And it's very interesting that stuff like that gets coded as morally good and gives people the ability to make morally good decisions, whereas anything outside of that belief system gets coded as not okay. And I would say mm-hmm. I have tremendous expect, like tremendous respect and affection for friends of all different religions and walks of life and stripes, except for anyone who's going to tell me that what I think is wrong and what they think is right. If you feel like that, God bless your little heart. And uh, it must be nice, again, to, to be so confident. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. You went to theology school, and all of a sudden, you, you just know the language of the angels. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Like, do you know how big the universe yeah. is? I don't, because it's really uh-huh. friggin' big, and I don't know what is going on. Yeah. But we're like a speck, and there's, there's I don't know. We're just a there's a lot of energy. <laughs> there is a lot of energy. And again, the good and the bad thing, how many people are okay with saying, oh, we're good, because we go to church, and we give money to the church? Well, some churches, what are you doing? There's an Instagram account called Preacher Sneakers, and it's just super expensive sneakers that some of these, like, very big evangelists, they buy. And it's like, wow. Like, There's always going to be people that are going to abuse the system. They're abusing the system, but also I think it becomes pernicious when you then use that to control power. Once you start using your power to gain control of other people, be it wealth, be it telling people how to think, I have walked into mega churches before in the South where they hand you a voting sheet and they're like, this is who you're voting for. Oh, fuck that. No, seriously. And at some point you do, you say fuck that and you try and be respectful of other people's beliefs. But if you have someone who's racist or a bigot or morally corrupt enough that they're going to go and sit in church and feel like that cleanses them in a way that makes them morally superior to you when everything I understand about the Bible 100% doesn't even imply that, Mm. then maybe, yeah, Go, you know, go go do some gardening. Go talk to somebody of a different faith. Yeah. Any faith Just can learn. be corrupt. Anything. I am a Jew. I, there are Jews who are corrupt. There's, it's every, everywhere. Yeah, every, yes, it's of everywhere. course. I mean, yeah. look at the BTK killer. He's... Ugh. I mean, right? Should we just start like a side true crime There's podcast? too many of them. There is too many of them. <laughs> it could just be for us. Okay. <laughs> like you could just come we'll over just sit here and talk and we'll just 100%. have our own. Yeah, and maybe someone will listen and maybe they won't. It's I'm fine. all for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is cool. That's actually important. I want to. I know you have a lot of things to do today and this is probably no, a little well, rambling, you do too, but, but you know, you're creating something that's not just unique, but it's grounding and it rehumanizes people because I think that my contempt is the right word for people who are just going to go and force their belief system on others is it it does make an awful lot of assumptions about how much one person can possibly know and how much of your own experience is like true or bad good or bad no instead of having all of these black and white sort of binaries can we just look at things from more of a perspective can we give ourselves grace can we give other people grace and that doesn't mean you have to look at someone who's murdered someone and be like well maybe they had a rough childhood no clearly there's right and wrong and you should not harm others Mm -hmm. but outside of that can we do what you're doing and just meet on common ground and just have conversations without shouting or telling people why they're wrong or or talking about gossip that nobody cares about like real conversations I think are so important and genuine and 
and thank you for coming over here and like <laughs> you know well thank you for like all those kind words yeah. no I love it this was like very organic yeah. and it flowed naturally yeah. and it was wonderful um yeah I just I again like we are all human beings and we have to remember that like yep. we literally are each other yes. like and a consciousness is the only thing that really mm. separates us yeah I think um yeah. but we're human we share that, but your story is unique to mm-hmm. you and no one else is going to have that. We might be able to relate to it, but like it's yours to tell. Yeah. So, um, that's why, again, I just, it's another way for people to learn about one another and someone might be, someone might hear something and be like, oh my gosh, I did not know that. And that changes my way of viewing that mm-hmm. now. And I'm so glad that flipped a switch for me. Yeah. It could be fit, something very small. Something very small. And again, what you're doing is you're engaging in people in a way where it's dangerous just to talk to people who think like you and look like you. That's where bias comes from. That's where hurtful assumptions comes from. That and like a desire for power is where a lot of racism comes from. And like the abuse of power often happens in a system where there are a lot of other people saying, nope, that's a good person, that's okay, I'm going to support that person and, like, let's get, let's mm. get whoever, X, mm. doesn't matter. And it's just, it's not cool, Mm-mm. but that's just how society works, and I think a lot of us are just unaware. We walk around so unaware of our own biases and the decisions that we make and just draw it back because yeah. that's where you find, like, you know, there's so much more than we can know. Why not, like, appreciate that that sort of experience yes it's cool yes I want to touch one thing upon the microwaves okay (laughs) do you know that like so I watch ancient aliens and 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 kind of into that but like you uh microwaves have always been something that if people have an encounter with like a men in black (gasps) in their house or maybe an alien in their house although uh-huh. I can't really think of any instances where I've heard of stories of that it's more the men in black thing um that the microwaves are like a very they do not like them they don't like them. no it's like a very it's almost like they know what those waves are oh. inside the microwave and that's kind of it's something that is not good to them or something they don't understand why we have. Wow. Oh, wow. That's so I, right when you were talking about microwaves Uh and stuff, I'm like, I wonder if she knows the whole thing about aliens and like people that might not be of this earth that people Mm -hmm. have had encounters or whatever and microwaves being a thing that's just like, Nope. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Look it up. Yeah. I will. And again, with the paranormal, like, my boys talk about what monsters and dragons people see aliens it's all just like it's coding for something that our brain's like what the heck am I looking at and when you're looking at something you've never seen before well you can't make sense of it you can't make sense of it no right yeah. so it's like what am I looking at what the like heck is that yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah the microwave okay I'm gonna have to watch ancient aliens now I'm adding that to my list or just huh? google microwaves and, yeah. wow. and aliens or yeah. men in black yeah yeah interesting Right. Well, it all circled back Very down cool. to the microwave. It did. It did. And now people are going to be like, wow, so if I go to her house, there's not going to be a microwave. And I'm like, no. He's fought. My husband has fought that battle for going on seven years now. We had one at one point, and I threw it out. So apparently I have strong feelings wow. about this. You do. Irrational yes. but strong. So there you go. Well, thank you so much, Kat, thank for you doing this. for coming. Yeah. Um, where can... Do you have anywhere people can find you? No. <laughs> I say that at the end. So I'm like, wait, should I, is there mm. anything? 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very extroverted, very open. I obviously own a family business. You'll see my husband on there a lot because not only is he the face of the brand, one of the beauties of working in PR is I can be behind the camera. Sure. And I know so many producers and PR people who are like, yep, let's just back right behind this tape line. So yeah, no, right. It's a personality type. And I always say, like, I'm happy to talk about my experiences, but if you want to find me, go and, and look at Camp Current. Look at a nonprofit. Look at a local nonprofit. Find somewhere where you can help out a little. Do some volunteering. Drop off a bag of clothes. Like, that's where you'll find me. You'll find I me love doing stuff that. like that. Yeah. You'll find me, or maybe you'll see me playing tennis sometime. Yeah. Yeah. And jumping around. And jumping or, around. Or yeah. whatever. And yeah. people, you know, just meet wherever. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, Kat. Of course. Thank you. Let's all take a page out of Kat's book and do a little good around us. Go donate some clothes or food to your local food shelter, food bank. And you can find the link below for Camp Current if you want to check out their page and make a donation there. Side note, I found out after I recorded this podcast, something even more fascinating than I thought could be fascinating about Kat. And I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to have her back on here because it's worth talking about. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time.